KUT's next AT Explained live show is April 3rd. Brand new stories about Austin's people, places, and culture told live on stage by your favorite KUT journalists. I've never gotten any specific invites from Steiner Ranch. And that's about the time Charlie chomped down on that chicken. I will hypnotize you into securing my law services. Join us April 3rd at the Paramount Theater for KUT's next AT Explained Live. Tickets are on sale now. Get them at austintheater.org. And we'll see you there. From KUT and KUTX Studios. Hey there. You're listening to This Song, the podcast where artists talk about the songs that formed and transformed them. Although this week, we don't actually have a new This Song episode for you. But we do have a special treat you get to hear an episode of the new Song Confessional podcast. Song Confessional is the brainchild of musicians Walker Lukens and Zach Catanzaro. They have this trailer that they've outfitted like a Catholic confessional booth, and they go to events or they park outside of bars, and people come in and tell anonymous confessions. Then Walker and Zach take the best stories, and they give them to musicians who write and record songs based on these tales. So in the podcast, you get the confession. You get the song that was inspired by that confession. And you get an interview with the artist who wrote the song. The episode you're about to hear has to do with a lot of things like family and secrets and weed. And I think you will really like it. And of course, you can find the Song Confessional podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to know more about Walker, well, I did interview him for this podcast. There'll be a link to that in the show notes for this episode. Anyway, here it is, y'all. The Song Confessional Podcast. The Song Confessional contains mature themes and adult language. Put your babies to sleep. Hey, this is Walker Lukens, and you are listening to the third episode of Here's what we do at the Song Confessional. We travel around the country in our little blue camper trailer and we record people telling us stories anonymously. We take our favorite stories and we give them to songwriters that we love who then write and record an original song based on your anonymous story. Each episode you'll hear one of these anonymous stories. We call them confessions. You'll hear the song that this confession inspired and you'll hear an interview with the songwriter. I am sitting here with my landlord. Uh, what, what, what's your name? I am Zach Catanzaro. And why did you follow me to work today? Because you owe me a shitload of money. I think that's a fair exchange. He uh, he could just beat me up. So <laughs> I'll. Uh, yeah, but that doesn't really pay. But yeah, take your landlord to work day is uh, every day. Wow, talk about a that'd be such a weird PSA. Yeah, <laughs> so, take, take your landlord. Take your to landlord work. to work day. It's like you're taking your landlord to work in your heart. That's why you're going to work, because you're like, fuck you, landlord. I owe you money sooner than I should. Zach, tell us about today's artist. We've got Vlad Holiday this week. He is a badass Brooklyn-based musician, born in Romania, grew up in New Jersey. He did grow up in New Jersey, survived New Jersey. Yeah, so did I. So that's that's an award-winning feat. Uh, Vlad only has a couple singles out. 
under his own name. They're all superb. He produces, writes, and records them himself, and he tells us about that in the interview. Um, but you might recognize his face from two other bands he used to be in. One is Jetlag Gemini, mm-hmm. uh, who, which was on Doghouse Records in the early aughts. I just gagged saying that phrase. <laughs> he was also in a band called Born Cages. What's the name of the song that Vlad wrote for us? It was always there. And and what's what's this confession about, if we can say? Basically, a woman's mother's profession. And I promise you that this woman's mother has a way cooler job than your mom. Yeah, it's not boring. It's, yeah. it's definitely far from boring. What, what, did you, what did your mom do, Zach? A lot of odd jobs, um, but mostly she was a special education teaching assistant. Very noble profession, yeah. but not anywhere near as exciting. Yeah. How about your mom? My mom uh, has done a lot of things. Um, she worked at a bank. She ran a daycare. She was a teacher for most of my life. Um, nowadays, she is an Episcopalian priest. Oh, that's weird. That's not something you hear every day. My mom's a priest. It's true. I, and, I, and people always think I grew up very religious. I didn't. This is mm-hmm. sort of a late in life thing for her. Um, Does she take as many confessions as you do? I actually think I take more than her. Uh, the the Episcopalians don't really do the confession thing like the Catholics. Oh, okay. Obviously, you're not Catholic now, but you did grow up in the church, right? I grew up extremely Catholic. I was an altar server. I was in music ministry. I helped with nursery. I taught faith classes. I did it all. So what do you think about confession? <laughs> you know, with all the terrible shit the Catholic Church has done, I actually feel like confession's the one thing they got right. You sit on the other side of a partition of a potential pervert, you tell them all the bad shit you did, and you're absolved and you get to go to heaven. If only it were that simple. Pretty good deal. Yeah. Well, without further ado, here is today's confession. Confession. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Doing pretty well. How are you? I'm I'm doing good. I'm ready to get some stuff off my chest, man. Wonderful. Well, proceed however you would like. All right. So, when I was 16 and being very very nosy and snoopy around the house, I I kind of discovered that my mom had a basement marijuana growing operation. Uh, in our house, there was a basement that I didn't know existed. I was never allowed to go into it. And one day they left me home alone. And so I knew where mom kept the key. And she had like 15 lights, a full growing operation, like all of what I would later see in Pineapple Express. And I'm 16, which like, so I've smoked marijuana. How do I not know that underneath me, my mom has a huge illegal growing operation. And as I start to try and figure out whether or not to confront my mom, I start to realize that I'm living in this really rural community and everyone around me has marijuana growing operations, not unlike Humboldt County. And so years later, a documentary series happens on Netflix and one of my mom's neighbors and best friends is on the documentary series as being called an OG of bringing marijuana from Afghanistan to the United States to cultivate new varieties of marijuana. And I learned that this guy who was essentially my uncle smuggled some of the original marijuana into Humboldt County and then moved up to Washington State where I was after Humboldt became like over invested with 
like too many like grow operations and so they started up there and I later learned that my mom cultivated with him Sensi Star, which is a very famous marijuana. To this day, my mom still has a grow operation. Legalization made her go smaller. She refused to legalize because, you know, fuck government taxes and all that. So it's much smaller and now I'm aware of it. But my fucking mother invented one of the most prevalent marijuana brands and I'm not allowed to talk about it to anyone. That is, that is, I've, I have no words right now. <laughs> like, and if you wanted to, man, I could provide you fucking documentation of how they came up with it. We have the books of what they crossbred. It was like Northern Lights and one of the Afghani Kushes that they got. And so, like, you know, and I'm a huge marijuana smoker now because obviously I'm raised in that hippie lifestyle. So I guess the second part of it is that I live in fucking Texas now. So my mom every other week mails me a package of weed through <laughs> the USPS from her own grow up. And that's really nerve wracking. She only grows indicas because I don't know if you know this, but sativas grow very tall and are like hard to handle. Whereas indicas will stay very uniform with each other. So the bigger thing though that I need to get out to you is that when I was 18, the police did raid our house. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. Well, definitely describe what that was like. That okay. had to... And this was... You found out when you were 16, correct? I figured it out when I was 16. Okay, which, so you're already in the know for a while at this point. Yeah, and the way I find out is that fucking Dare comes to my school and, like, puts the marijuana, like, in front of us and is like, marijuana has a very distinct smell. And my best friend looks at me and she goes, this is what your house smells like. <laughs> and that's when I started snooping. My mom, you know, comes clean. My father was, like a military politician and so he had this high level of desperation to keep it an utter secret and he wanted to lie mom tells me the truth so we kind of let dad think that i don't know but mom knows that i know and then i turn 18 and i'm i'm in my room i'm gonna go to college in a few months and i'm just kind of like i don't know reading watching tv probably secretly smoking pot because i could get away with it in the house because mom was always smoking pot so dad would never know where it came from and then there's a knock on the door and all the dogs start barking and all you hear is a low deep voice, police, we have a warrant. And, and, and my mom like hops up and she's like, fucking stay in your bedroom. And she opens the door and the police come rushing in and my father's in the shower and they go into the bathroom where the strange person is and they like, they like detain my father against a wall and execute a search warrant. So there's like, there's like what feels like 50 cops in our house executing a search warrant. And I'm 18 thinking that this is it. My parents are both going to jail. I'm an adult. I can go to jail because <laughs> I turned that age. And what had happened was my mom had gotten a tip that somebody who had like a police scanner had heard that the cops had suspicion and reason to enter their house. And so my mom killed her entire crop in the basement like days before it happened she just over she turned the heat way up and all the plants died and so the police go down and they carry out hundreds of dead plants and we learn at that point from an attorney that we hired that because the plants were dead and couldn't be distributed that she couldn't be charged so it's awkward and mom's taken to the police station and dad's taken to the police station and they leave me as the kid the 18 year old they leave me at home alone 
everybody goes away our house is completely trashed like the furniture is flipped over like the lights in the basement they've hacked away everything they've pulled down all the lights down in there there's no electricity functioning in the house because they've cut it up as part of like the search warrant raid and they leave with my parents and because i'm 18 they do nothing with me but leave me as like a person who didn't know what was going on because my parents obviously protected me and were like she didn't know what was going on and i have to call an attorney for my drug dealing mommy. And I don't think I've ever really gotten over the fact that my parents paid for everything, like from college on down, not from my dad's life as a public service politician, but because my mom made bank as an illegal weed grower. You know, after that all goes down, she doesn't regrow, she sells the house. And my mom has no skills other than being really fucking good at growing marijuana. And so, you know, marijuana is legalized in Washington. She's allowed to have a grow that's like, a, I don't know how many lights it is, but she made it cross lights like the Weeds episode because she's like obsessed with that show. And yep, she's uh, the main character. I mean. She's the fucking main character. And I'm the teenage children that have to deal with the ramifications. Mm-hmm. But on the bright side, on the bright side, I get all my marijuana for free in a package my mother mails me every other week. But the last confession I want to make is that upon my father's death, which was only six months ago, and he was in a wheelchair, all all different things, but upon his death, my mom decided to take a trip with some friends to Europe, and she came back from Amsterdam with a pack of seeds that she, and I just, I need to get this out there because she only told me, my mom smuggled marijuana seeds so that she could grow some new kinds of marijuana in her vagina. And over winter break, I went home and mom asked me to help her plant and cultivate her vagina seeds. Cause it's a lot going from seeds, you know? Cause like you gotta sex it and, 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 and you can only have one male because if there's too many males, it's not like smokable THC. But so I'm really excited to say that she has a new variety that she's just put together that she's really proud of. And we're really excited for it to hit the market. I adore her, she's amazing. That's but I just wonderful. need to get out that my mom is one of the OGs of weed and uh, God, she's a fucking hippie. Production. Vlad shows up at the studio with nothing but an idea. He knows he wants his song to feel dark and stoned like you just polished off a blunt in your mother's secret basement. He starts strumming some minor chords. He makes the beat really, really slow. He adds some effects to make the drums spooky. He adds more effects to his voice to make it sound trippy. The song pours out of him. Suddenly, four hours have passed in a smoky haze. Vlad looks at Jim and asks, how long is it? Jim responds, four minutes and 18 seconds. Vlad looks over his shoulder and says, make it 420. Here's the world premiere of It Was Always There. I'm finally What's in front of my eyes? Couldn't live here forever Inside a disguise This house has got stories That it won't ever Burn down like a fire The last drop in the world 
There was written by Vlad Holiday. It was mixed, engineered, and produced by Jim Eno with assistant engineering by Grant Epley and mastering by Chris Longwood. All of the instruments were played by Vlad Holiday except for the drums, which were played by Jim Eno. You can stream, download, buy. It was always there anywhere and everywhere you listen to music. Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, Deezer. All of them, anywhere, it's there. Interview. 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 Sitting here with Vlad, uh, in your own words, what was the story about? Uh, well, it was the craziest story I've ever heard. Um, and I just want to actually start by saying I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't do it justice. Uh, this, this story deserves... <laughs> A movie, not a song. I would say this person's mom was running an illegal weed growing operation, and uh, and yeah, and is still doing it and still kicking ass, and that's pretty amazing, actually. It, what what were some moments from the story that stuck out to you? Um, 
the raid. The raid. That 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 must have been insane. I mean, she knew about it for two years, but I'm sure she wasn't like fully aware of every. I wonder if they ever had. They probably didn't, but I wonder if they ever had like a talk, like, "Hey, j- j- if in case anything happens, I'm gonna burn the," you know, or because mm-hmm. obviously she knew what she was doing, burning the crops. I I loved that her father was a politician. Yeah. I mean, you can't... That's why I think you're right. It's like it does need a TV show or a movie. Yeah. It's, 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 There's it's no way I, you can write like a song about all those details. Maybe it was just just talking to Zach and not knowing him uh, or anything, but she seemed a little ambivalent. Like, on the one hand, she thought her her mom was pretty amazing. Yeah. And like definitely recognize the cool factor yeah. that her mom grew weed. Uh, but then on the other hand, also seemed like still kind of messed up about it. Yeah. Did you sense that the first time you listened to it? Uh, I Honestly, I she has a sort of like proud tone in her voice. Yeah. That's, I, that's what I took away from it. That she was like, Excited to finally get it off her chest. To, to probably she's never told like a stranger this yeah. story, you know. Yeah, that's a good point. She's not allowed to really yeah. just tell anybody. I mean, she can't go around telling everybody that's close to her because then that is, that's not a good thing either. Uh, your parents don't grow weed. Um, actually, no, they don't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yours? Uh, no, no, no one grows weed. Weird. Uh, did it, did you have any deep dark secrets of theirs you uncovered as a teenager like this? Um, my, my well, my family is a little weird because I, I hadn't met my dad until I was ten. Uh-huh. Um, but there, I'll tell you, there was zero drug. I I I grew up in Bucharest, Romania, mm-hmm. um, and actually we had a kind of a crazy upbringing as well because. At the time, he was a journalist that spoke out against the new regime after our communist leader was like brought down, and because it was long story short, like it was the same kind of people in charge. They were just faking it to make it look like. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got my brother and I got death threats as little kids, and we were trying to escape the country. My dad got political asylum and came to America, and it took me, my brother, and my mom, 10 years to um, get our visas properly. To be able to come to Yeah, so I didn't meet him until I was 10. Actually, I should do a confessional for somebody <laughs> else. <to write> <laughs> yeah, so I guess I learned all, you know, the details a little later on. But even now, like, I'm, you know, I'm getting older, and I'm, I'm kind of questioning how, like, there's a few, like, holes in that plot, and I'm, <laughs> I'm wondering how exactly... I don't know. My mom tells me that like there, there are opportunities for us to come in through Mexico, like illegally, uh-huh. but she didn't want to deal with that with two kids, like as a single mom, and and also it's super illegal and yeah. So other than that, no, I didn't. I I know for a fact that there were no drugs allowed in that time. Like mm-hmm. my parents had maybe still never tried pot, even today. Even today. Oh yeah, I brought him like an edible, which is probably a terrible idea to like try for the first time and get like ridiculously high. 
but uh, I, I brought him a brownie and because my mom like you know the media is like a little more relaxed about pot the, the past like nowadays nowadays absolutely so they're a little less afraid of it my, my parents or my mom at least was she was like ready to try it and my dad threw out the brownie so i'm like almost 100 percent sure they haven't smoked pot yet one thing about this story is uh it's kind of the moment where as a kid she's like reckoning with the fact that her her mom does this like very illegal adult thing you know mm-hmm. which is a little bit like what you were saying with your parents like you know the official account of how they got here but <laughs> yeah. now that you're older you're sort of realizing like hey that there's things that don't add up yeah there. yeah yeah i like i do like that she had such a uh, open um like was able to communicate so openly with her mom about it now it's yeah like, there's no shame around it mm-hmm. which is pretty cool it is really cool i wonder if it was always like that um because yeah that's 16 like I don't know. I mean, I know some people that were always like super close and attached with their parents, but usually that's like around that time when you're like, oh, mom and dad are so lame. Yeah. So I wonder how she took it at first and how those first years were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> she probably thought pot was so... No, because she was smoking pot. That must have been really confusing. That must yeah. have been very confusing, yeah. to have your To have your parents or your mom, you know growing the thing that you associate with like good bad, good times being good bad. times and like yeah rebellion yeah and it's like your parents like yeah, yeah 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 maybe maybe that's what i was trying to say a second ago is 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 she sort of is having this moment first it's just opening the basement and then it's with the raid yeah but it's like oh man my mom my mom is involved with something that everyone i know thinks is so cool yeah and, it's, and this is her job yeah you know yeah. That's a pretty heavy realization for uh, for a teen. Yeah. Do you smoke marijuana? I do. Yeah. I, but I'll, I'll be honest, like, I don't know so much about it. Like, yeah. I didn't know of that strain, but I Googled it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a bit oblivious to all that stuff, but yeah, I mm-hmm. smoke. Yeah. I guess my my last question on the, the story was, you know, what, what kind of personal connection did you feel with with the confession? You know, I, I I tried to just put myself in her shoes. Mm-hmm. I didn't really um, try to find my own connection to it at all. I just tried to put myself in her shoes. Hopefully, she likes the song, but uh, while making it a little more, a lot more vague and less detailed to the actual story, it sort of just turned out about something being there that you know it was like under your nose, and it's like that moment of realization. It's kind of like yeah. whoa. Yeah, I, you know, I noticed, and one thing I really liked is that the the tone of your song mm-hmm. is kind of darker and more yeah. sinister yeah. than the way she told it. Absolutely. I wondered if that was a bad take, but that's just kind of how I sing. So. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so you, you, you made that decision based on your just your style and I your guess voice? so, yeah, yeah. You know, halfway through writing it, I was like, I hope I'm not making it seem like she's really upset that she didn't know because... It seemed to me like she was pretty stoked, <laughs> at least at this point in her life. Yeah, it it really did seem like an actual confession. Yeah, like there's just this thing I hold on to all the time. I like can't tell a lot of people. Yeah, but yeah, I I really got the sense that she thought her experience was very cool. Yeah, 
not to get too bogged down in recording stuff. Yeah. But when you were in there with Jim, I noticed that you wanted your vocals to sound a certain way. Uh huh. And I've noticed that that is how they sound on your other recordings too. Yeah. Yeah. How how did you arrive at that? Have you always done that? I know you've been in a lot of projects and no, I haven't always done that. I've just ever since I've gone, I've done this solo project under my own name. I've mm-hmm. sort of done a specific vocal chain, yeah, recording process, just so that it's a bit more uniform, I guess. What do you like about it? Essentially, it's like just dirty, like kind of trying to emulate like old shitty recordings lo-fi with like this big drenched in reverb thing i don't know what the reverb part i what i love about that is sort of using it as an instrument and Mm -hmm. um a lot of my songs including this one are like a little slower than what it should (laughs) what the tempo should be Mm -hmm. and um that's like kind of the vibe that i've been going for and and i think the reverb helps like fill a lot of space and like you know, playing around with it to, to try to make it say things. What have you been writing about recently? Um, I try to just write a, about very basic human emotions. I don't know. Yeah. And I guess it kind of always turns a little dark because, <laughs> I don't know, because maybe they're, they are a, a bit dark. What is, what is Bad Influence about? Bad Influence is about, like, the little voice inside your head that tells you to do... Not the bad things, but just like the part of you that wants to be a little more adventurous and rebellious and kind of just like say fuck it or like, I don't know. It's about accepting that part of yourself and kind of, uh, it's like a love song for that part of yourself. Not judging the part of you that wants to do bad things. Yeah, not, yeah I think it's super important actually mm-hmm. to be aware of all of your moods and all of yourself. When you know you've written a good song, mm-hmm. how do you know you've written a good song? Just just to you, on your own terms. Um, I don't know. I've, I've been trying not to think about that too much, just to kind of write. But I'll always get to this final stage when it feels good. And then, you li- you know, I'm, I produce myself, so I spend a lot of time just, like, listening to all the parts. The, the one negative thing about that is it's hard to detach from it. What I'll do is I'll get really drunk and I'll like edit it again or like I'll open the session and just like, yeah, and just drink by myself, which sounds a little sad, but, but that's actually my technique. That's how I can truly disconnect from it and listen to it with fresh ears. Yeah. And if I like it, then that's when I know. That's when you know it's good. Yeah. That's interesting because when I listen to my own music and I'm drunk, like my records, yeah. I know I'm drunk yeah. because it sounds too slow to me. Oh, like, really? No matter what I listen to, I'm like, this is too fucking slow. Really? That's I funny. fucked it up. How do we <laughs> speed up the whole session? So That's really funny. Do you have anything exciting coming up? Oh, uh, no. No? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, <laughs> I, I literally go, uh, yeah, I, I just write song by song and I'm in the middle of a couple of songs, but like absolutely no plans of doing anything. And I kind of like that. I kind of like, I've been in bands and projects where, you know, six months ahead of time you have, or more, you have to actually way more years because of all the politics, all the, you know, the yeah. label and like the promotion and all that stuff. And 
man, I don't miss that. I love just being able to do something and then putting it out on my own terms. And one thing I've learned doing this for 15 years now, my first band, I was 15, like got out of high school with the record deal and all that, like went into it full on. As a musician, you kind of uh, have to grab onto the parts that make it fun and like hold on to them. And mm -hmm. you can't lose that because sometimes you worry too much about the business and it has, shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't be like that. It takes all the fun away from it. And when the fun's gone, the creativity's gone and the art is bad. So I've I realized that. It's, yeah. it's better to just be good to yourself and, and be um, to cater to your own needs and to, to make sure you're happy doing what you're doing. Can you imagine not seeing your dad for the first 10 years of your life? Not really. That's that's pretty intense the way that happened for him. Well, and, and knowing that he's alive. Yeah. And not getting to see him. And it's not like a neglectful dad situation either. Yeah. He left for their safety. Yeah, that is, that is unbelievable. Vlad is so chill. He is really chill. And I guess part of what says that is it just hanging out with him a few times. He's a very chill guy i imagine growing up with that kind of uh backdrop for your family mm -hmm. might make you very level-headed and easygoing yeah it's funny that he said his parents didn't smoke pot because it almost seems like with all everything they've been through it's like just sitting back and having a toke might be kind of nice yeah it might feel great <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> zach did your parents smoke weed oh definitely they uh i know they did when they were younger and definitely lied about it, tried to hide it as long as possible. Um, but yeah, I, I, I know they did. Yeah. So they did try to hide it from you when, yeah. they were they, when you were a teen. When I was a, a teen. Yeah. yeah, I remember being in high school and finding my dad's uh, senior yearbook, looking through it. One of his friends wrote something along the lines of like, I'll never forget the times getting high. And he wrote high all squiggly. And uh, I was like, Dad, what, what does that mean, being a little prick about it? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, oh, uh, we were high on life. It was a different time. <laughs> like, yeah, the time where you got high. <laughs> yeah, it was a different time, maybe. That yeah. part was true. <laughs> I, I, after my dad passed away, uh, I connected with a lot of his friends. Mm. And this one guy uh, told me a story that I think about and always really love, which is when my dad and my brother and sister were born and my uh my dad was on a business trip. He was in D.C. This is just after my brother and sister had been born. And, uh, you know, they bought a house. You know, he's just early on, young mm -hmm. family. And he's with his buddy. And uh, his buddy brings out a bong and uh, offers it to my dad. And my dad sort of self-righteously says he doesn't smoke anymore because he has young kids to think about and a mortgage and all this stuff. And his friend... No response, just hands it to him one more time. And <laughs> That's a my, good friend. Yeah, it is a good friend. And, <laughs> and and my dad took a hit and, according to Mike Freemuth, was just giggling his ass off yeah. and having the time of his having life. Having a great time. Listening to Warren Zevon uh. and unwinding. Uh, That's the thing about weed that I think is really great. It, it tends to make people relax and just sort of be where they are. And that has always seemed to me to be a better way to end your day than tying one on then tying one on yeah exactly and yeah. i'm always real envious of people who 
um, weed sits well with them and they they you they don't abuse it because mm-hmm. it, it just seems so much easier on your body than drinking yeah unfortunately it's a little like 50 50 people either get super relaxed or it's the complete opposite and you get really paranoid when yeah. you're smoked and, and when you've smoked and you, there's no relaxing at all this is not a state secret but you are a stoner I don't classify myself as stoner, but I I enjoy yeah. recreational marijuana use in legal states. Yeah. <laughs> and what are those legal states in case anyone was wondering? Colorado, Washington, Oregon, California, soon to be Delaware, Washington, D.C., uh, Massachusetts. Wow. I think it's great. I think it's so long overdue, and it's amazing to see how the, the conversation around marijuana has changed in the last five years. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, it's just become a realistic conversation for the first time ever. Yeah. I mean, the fact that my mom calls it marijuana and not dope is like a big, it's a (laughs) good sign for the culture. That's legalization in your, in the Lucan's household. Totally. (laughs) But I mean, you, you do smoke a fair amount of, a fair amount of weed. Yeah. More than the, more than the average person I'd say. And I don't think that anyone would, would guess that. Probably not. First meeting you. Yeah. I've got an annoying amount of energy. Yeah. I mean, in all the times we've spent together, I, I can count only a handful that I've ever thought, oh, Zach is very stoned. And, and most of the time it's because you actually tell me <laughs> yeah. that you're feeling very stoned. Yeah, fair. And yeah. yet you've been around me high so many times. So many times. So many yeah. times. It just seems like it agrees with your body. Yeah, I, yeah, I think more than the physical, it agrees with my mind. Yeah, um, what do you mean by that? As in, I don't get the paranoia side of things. It is very relaxing and calming for me. And as somebody whose mind is racing and I'm thinking about a thousand different variables all the time, um, it, it helps me narrow the focus, which is like, I don't like taking Adderall, but I describe my weed usage in the same way that I hear people describe their Adderall yeah. usage. Like if I need to focus on a task, I can focus on that task really efficiently if I'm a little high. When... Uh... When did you start smoking weed? Like, were you a teenager? I, I definitely, like, tried it a few times in high school, but not really until I was 18 in college after my dad died. Is really It it started with a coping mechanism um, and just kind of became a part of me from there. So at this point, I mean, close to close to half your life? Yeah, you yeah basically weed. half my life. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I graduated college high. Yeah. <laughs> I opened my first business high. <laughs> I've built a house high. I've done some things. That's pretty cool. I've built a house high. Sounds like uh, like the name of a Bonnie Vare song. Yeah, some cryptic lyric. Give me that really Grammy get. nom. Yeah, sounds good. I I started smoking weed when I was like thirteen. That's pretty young. Yeah, and I liked it a lot. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I di- I didn't, and I. It's funny. Most people that say what you said, uh, those people don't smoke anymore, and people like myself that started later in life those are the people that tend to enjoy weed more I've, yeah i've kind of gathered that i think that's true yeah I, I think also i mean when you have the benefit of just having a better sense of self yeah that's probably true. i think you can always have a better relationship with that stuff it, ha, had you tried the strain that her mother created i hadn't i had heard of it you heard of it. of it but i've never tried it no so mm-hmm. Yeah, next time we're in legal states, that'll be one of my missions, maybe. Hell yeah, let's use KUTX to start soliciting weed donations. <laughs> Send us your weed. Yeah, give yeah. it to us. I think all parents have secrets from their kids. It's, it's pretty normal. And, and as kids, you learn some of them as you get older. 
But when your parents pass away, I mean, you really learn a lot because you go through their things and people tell you stuff they wouldn't otherwise. What kind of stuff did you learn about your parents after they passed? Yeah, one of the more intense things was uh, reading through their marriage counseling journals that I knew they were going through marriage counseling when I was in high school. My sister was already in college, but so I was like kind of like only child experience and it was a very tumultuous time in the household. They almost got divorced and stuff, but go reading their like intimate personal thoughts that weren't meant for their children to see yeah. is is pretty intense. Like I, I read this thing about my my dad realizing his father was a traveling salesman. And so when his dad would come home on Friday, he usually had been gone all week. And the MO in the family was like, don't talk to dad for a few hours. Mm-hmm. But it was also really hard for these the kids, right? Because like they haven't seen their father. Mm-hmm. They want to say hi. Yeah, they want to learn about him. Yeah. But I guess apparently he would polish off like four or five beers. And then after he had four or five beers. You could talk to him. He could talk to him. Yeah. Well, so, so, my, so my dad had this realization that him as a parent had the same unconscious expectation, which was that like... Kids need to leave him alone for a while so he could unwind. Yeah. He hated it as a child. Yeah. So he had this realization that he was recreating the same scenario. The same scenario. Yeah. You know? I remember reading that just being like... Totally. Yeah. Because you remember the child feeling of that same thing. A much... It sounds like what I, what we experienced was like a much lighter version of it. Yeah. But still just the like... Just the, the very adult need to unwind Mm -hmm. and then the very impractical expectation that you can have that when you have small kids Mm -hmm. you know unless you're fucking old school patriarchy where it's like no one talks to father yeah totally that was my grandfather my dad's dad yeah he was a children should be seen and not heard kind he was a hard fucking man yeah like my aunts will still talk about how terrified of him they were yeah um everyone's got daddy issues a little bit for sure you don't you don't come into the world and not bring some of them. So for my father, he always felt like his dad was emotionally unavailable. Mm-hmm. But his father, so my great-grandfather, I mean, he just walked out on the family. Oh, wow. But So my grandfather always felt like he was the greatest parent in the world. Yeah. Because he was like, Cause he stayed. I fucking put food on the table and I stay and I show up. It's just interesting that like, that intergenerational trauma yeah, aspect. Totally. I mean, trauma is such a like buzzword now yeah, that I think that sometimes it doesn't resonate exactly in how it means. And when you think about intergenerational trauma, it doesn't always give r- r- real trauma, true credit these days. Cause I, everybody has well trauma. Said. That's what I'm trying to say. So I agree like, with you. Yes. Yeah. It's like normalizing trauma is a good thing, but some, some people's trauma is way more intense than other people's. You're right. <laughs> it, it, I, I do think about that also with the, confessor mm-hmm. i mean she's obviously very proud mm-hmm. of her mom or maybe if pride's not the right word like she thinks her she's mom, impressed she's impressed that's a nice word for it she she re- she recognizes the cool factor of yeah my mom grew weed yeah in our basement but she seemed a little traumatized yeah there's like with a, reason yeah there's a mild amount of like normalizing an FBI raid as a high schooler. Yeah. As it, a teenager. Exactly. She's like, oh yeah, this thing happened. But like the reality of, that would be fucking terrifying. That would be If you were a teenager terrifying. and all the cops came to your house to get your parents, which is like happening all the time these days. I mean, how could it not be traumatizing? Yeah, it's gotta be. I, part of me thinks that that is the darkness in Vlad's song. It's always there. Is it? Is that. Yeah, the yeah. darkness is always there. The secrets are always there. Yeah. 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 
Song Confessional is brought to you by KUTX and produced by myself, Zach Catanzaro, Walker Lukens, Aaron Blackerby, Ryland Kettery, Jim Eno, and Mike Lee. The theme song was written by me, Walker Lukens. It was performed by myself, Zach Catanzaro, James Wesley Esri, and it was recorded and mixed by Grant Epley at Public Hi-Fi. If you like this podcast, rate us, review us, subscribe, and sign up for our email list at www.songconfessional.com. I guess just to clarify, Zach, I mean, you only smoke weed where it's legal, correct? Uh, of course. But never anywhere else. No, never. Yeah. Not ever. That's ludicrous to think that people would do that.